back to Listo's Refugee Help mini-series with the support of Commonwealth Catholic Charities Refugee Resettlement. This series hopes to capture this unique period of the refugees in Hampton Roads' experiences, thoughts, and difficulties along the road to integration during this global pandemic. We also hope these interviews provide useful feedback to community members who provide services to refugees. But most importantly, we hope this mini-series provides insight and creates empathy that will lend to receptive and harmonious societies where newcomers and all immigrants are succeeding in their pursuits of safety, happiness, and prosperity. In today's episode, we have Kristen Larcher back with us to talk a little bit more about her personal experiences as well as interpretation in the health needs of the refugee community. Then, we'll hear from Jeanette and her experiences as a student and taking care of her siblings during this time. I have not had the pleasure of meeting Jeanette, but I'm definitely fangirling her for all that she is doing and striving for, and I'm sure that you will too. If you happen to miss the last few episodes and would like to brush up on your knowledge of the global refugee crisis slash what the CCC is doing and for whom in Hampton Roads, please check out the first episode with Dr. Alexandra Leader, as well as the prior episodes where Kristen discusses the CCC's work here. Feel free to reach out to the podcast email, lisosalukabal at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or ideas. We would love to hear from you. With that, let's get back to hearing from Kristen. And what I'd love to ask you about is, is you um, and what you most appreciate about your work here at the CCC. Yeah, um, so many things. I think it's just endless gratitude that I have for so many people, not being like too general, but I really am always appreciative of the greater Newport News community. I think anyone who knows resettlement understands that the crux of a successful resettlement offices, community support, Mm -hmm. and having host communities be welcoming and really believe in like the harmony, Mm -hmm. you know, that can come about um, when we welcome and support and not turn our backs on on foreigners and newcomers. So I'm just endlessly, like everlastingly grateful for um, our our community. And and you know who you are, all those people out there Mm -hmm. who've been, you know, supportive of us forever. And those are the people who we call all the time like hey yeah, <laughs> yeah can you uh, do this with us you, you know whatever do you know someone you can do this do you, cool. and always uh, always you know people lending hands so that's the, probably the first thing we're appreciative um the second thing is is just um the employees out of ccc uh I, the staff that i work with they're incredible they're committed they're selfless it's really hard to have a job where you're evaluated on how much you help other people. It's a wild concept, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And it really requires, and I think a lot of people who work in nonprofit totally understand this, it requires true love of what you're doing and belief in this idea that all humans are created equally mm-hmm. and are of, you know, and, and, and deserve the basic, you know, rights right. and uh, are of equal value. So I'm extremely appreciative of the staff. And then um, I'm appreciative of of the newcomers. Uh, I learned from them every day. Um, it makes me humble to see how, you know, they're fighters, how resilient they are, um, how resourceful they are, and how optimistic they are and, and, and how far they come over the years. So cool. Yeah, my appreciation lies there. Well, no, thank you for your, your beautiful reflections. Yeah, I guess, you know, it, there's so much that can be said about working with a community towards a common goal for something that is so important as this is working for human rights, basically, is kind yeah. of what you guys are doing yeah. um, in the long game. 
yeah, and doing that day in and day out and, yeah, I know working with people that have such vastly different experiences, yeah. you know, like I can never fathom what that no. would be like to yeah. have all of those like wonderful characteristics that people have cultivated and you guys get to um, appreciate that as well. And it's, you know, it's really cool. Um, so in, in today's interview, we have, um, Jeanette yeah. and she is wonderful. She is wonderful. <laughs> um, so brilliant. You guys yeah. will be able to hear in a, in a few moments, but, um, so she speaks English among several other languages, you know, and reflecting about languages being a barrier, how does CCC address that as a barrier to yeah. clients? And then what recommendations do you have for healthcare providers yeah. in encountering patients as refugees who may have you know, language barriers as well? Sure. Language is, <laughs> you know, when you think of whenever you're putting a plan together, or when you're putting together a new, a new program, it's like, you know, you're always mapping out your pros and cons and the things you need to set up. And of course, like language provision is always numero uno. It's like, it like comes first and foremost, and it, it never goes away. So um, how do we deal with that? I think one is we really focus on uh, having a staff that is culturally competent. And that means hiring staff who are from the same countries as some mm -hmm. of the, the refugees. So because, for example, in the past four or five years, we've just seen so many Afghans coming, we have staff that are from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm and they speak the native languages. Yeah, so that definitely sure. helps. Um, let's say in the future, we see a lot of, I, I don't know, Rohingya coming, mm -hmm. you know, like we would, and if we saw that that was an ongoing tendency, we would try to hire, find people who speak that language. Yeah. We also have an in-house interpretation service. So um, okay. yeah, so it is actually another program that can like companies can hire it to do interpreta uh, interpretation and translating. So if there is a language that we don't have readily available, we can use our interpreter services program. Gotcha. And then just something we've been trying to do more because it does uh, it does promote kind of leadership within refugee communities, but we've been trying to identify people who have learned English over the years, right? Because mm -hmm. they've been here now, like four, mm -hmm. five, six years. Sure. And we try to tap back into those who came from years past and say, hey, do you want to do translation for us? Do you want to help us? Do you want to be a volunteer with us? Yeah. And we have um, training courses that they can take to become actually trained and paid interpreters. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Especially not just the language aspect, but the cultural aspect as well. Like they have come and they yeah. have been in and they, the and they know it. Uh huh. Like yeah. refugee shoes at the beginning. What a cool circle. <laughs> yeah. For, for that so regarding like providers though, I think you mentioned it is so important though, that if health providers like, um, you know, hospitals, mm -hmm. uh, primary care physicians, psychologists or psychiatrists or counselors, it's tough. This is not, especially when you get into mental health, because it's very hard to find certified help that gets the cultural aspect. Like there, there's, there's no way to be culturally empathetic when you, when you're not from there, sure. there's no way that we can be like, Oh really? Like you were facing ethnic genocide. Like there's no way that like an American counselor can bridge that. So at least the least we need to be able to do is say, you know, we can get an interpreter in the room mm -hmm. and make sure you're well, you know, what you want to communicate is, is thoroughly communicated. Um, so I do just, I always encourage health providers to please, please take that extra step, hire an interpreter service or know 
who in the community can provide interpretation. And CCC can also, we can be a bridge for that. We, we can link that if we know that there's professionals out there who would want to work more with refugees, but they don't have that. Yeah. We can bridge that. Uh, we can be that link. Um, yeah. No, that's uh, wonderful to hear for any, um, you know, healthcare providers, future or current, um, who are listening to this that maybe have struggled with that part of the equation, as well as some of the community members that are now providing like interpretation services for you guys mm -hmm. that also have that cultural aspect mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah. yeah, like you said, that is super important. Um, and also like for ourselves as healthcare providers to kind of understand at least like basics of where people are coming sure. from. Yeah, and I guess, are there any other health recommendations for healthcare providers that you know you especially see within the refugee population here that um, we should be aware of? Well, um, so I think that the tricky part is one, um, it, it takes a lot to educate newcomers on how healthcare works. I mean, I think, I think, I think Americans struggle to understand with how healthcare yeah. works. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's always changing and there's a lot of fine print. Sure, sure. So it, it, it does take a lot of education to, to get uh, people to understand like, no, like this doctor doesn't fall in your network or mm -hmm. you can't just walk into a doctor. I mean, we've literally had people like just walk in a doctor's office and you can imagine like that, what, you know, yeah. like from the, from the provider side. So. I feel like sometimes even U.S. citizens need an interpreter to like go through what is health insurance, you know. Lawyers do that. That's yeah. not, you know, when you're hired on to, to certain positions, you have lawyers that like break that down for you, yeah. which is indicative of how complicated it is. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, beyond basic healthcare needs, um, you know, re you know, refugees just, just like anybody else, some have serious health problems, mm -hmm. and you know, the, just just the ongoing case management and assistance for for people who have more serious needs, like you know, people get cancer and people need operations and it becomes expensive. A lot of families fall off of their initial like refugee provided Medicaid and they, they don't link back into new kinds of insurance. And so they're just mm -hmm. looking at all these bills. We, we could always use assistance in the case management aspect is how do we stay connected with those families who have more serious health needs, getting them connected again to better health insurance. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Because people, what I've understood, people have Medicaid for like a few months. They like, did it for eight months. Eight yeah. months. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens? A couple of things. So um, a lot of times they will qualify again if they reapply. Okay. Sometimes they just don't because still at eight months, you're like kind of new and you just don't know what all this paperwork is that's coming into your mailbox and you just yeah. fall off. Um, Sometimes, not often, but sometimes you'll get some some clients who just get really good jobs and they'll get it through their employers. We don't see that often. And then there's kind of the, those that fall in between and they can do the marketplace. But again, it's super complicated and it takes someone sitting down with them and like, this is what the marketplace is and you have to apply and you have to find a plan and, um, you know, like, yeah, you're going to need a credit card. Yeah, it's, it's, right. Yeah. Right. Like the whole credit. What you don't have a credit card yet. Okay. Oh, let's good. apply for a credit card. I, I think to areas that we really need help in is a lot of basic Medicaid doesn't cover dental and it doesn't cover, mm. it doesn't cover vision. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's, we still, like, we still need to find ways to really improve in that area. To bridge that gap. So yeah. then a lot of like the safety net stuff that we hear about, yeah, it doesn't cover a lot it of other It doesn't cover other, stuff, yep, other, other than basic. Or, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for um, bringing that back home and enlightening us about things that we can advocate for, especially as people that have 
um, that platform <laughs> to yeah. do so. Definitely. So yeah. Yeah. Um, with that, we're gonna hear from Jeanette. Thanks so much, everybody. Stay tuned. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, so my name is Jeanette. I am from the Democratic of Congo. I am 19 years old and I've been in the USA for four years. Great. And and tell us what what is your, your native language? I speak Swahili and I a little bit of French. And I understand that you came, you said four years ago, and you came with a big family, right? Mm -hmm, yes. So tell us about your big family. So I have four sisters, two brothers, and I am the second oldest. You're the second oldest? Yes. <laughs> so you're in charge of all your, your yes. little brothers and sisters? So pretty much I take care of everything because my sister is now home again. She lives in North Carolina. So I am the oldest now at oh. home. So I'm in charge. All right. You're like third parent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, so Jeanette, um, we want to talk a little bit about this very controlling topic of COVID, right? Um, what do you think about COVID in general? I think COVID um, is something that brings worries to people and it is something that um, makes people feel insecure because there's some, um, like the people are just limited uh, to, like, to stuff that they can do during this period. And about worries, people pretty much about as as refugee, we have families back home that we have to be worried about them all the time. So I think COVID is something that brings worries and insecure to people. Sure. Yeah. So, so you and your family, you've seen it as a pretty serious thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. COVID is like something very serious and I think everybody should take it seriously. So you just graduated high school, right? Yes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so back in March, right, you were still in school. Yes. So what was happening in the schools? What, what were you hearing about this corona? So back in school, um, nobody was taking COVID seriously. And I would hear like somebody in my classroom shouts, she has corona, he has corona. And everybody was just taking <laughs> it like, it was just funny. We, we were just playing around. Nobody was taking it seriously. And, but when, um, the teacher, the teacher knew it was something serious, but the students couldn't get it in their head. It was something serious. So everybody was just playing around. And instead we like, they had to tell us we have to go home for two days, but everybody was just happy. It's a weekend. <laughs> I remember walking to the bus. I was just, my bus driver was like, oh, we are getting two days off. And I was just, yeah, I was just so happy yeah. that we're going to stay two, two days home and go back to school. So. At that time, nobody was taking COVID seriously in March. But then, you know, two days turned into... Uh, after two days... Four months. It was, they said, uh, two weeks. So after two weeks, they said, it's we won't go back to school. And that was like, I was like, this is serious. I started taking it serious. Yeah. But I was just mad and <laughs> not going back to school. Right. So now you're 
you had to finish the year at home. Yes. Um, what was the transition like doing school at home with all your brothers and sisters there and all the virtual learning? How did how was that experience for you? Oh, that experience was very challenging because because oh, most of my classes uh, we couldn't do like virtual like Zoom we couldn't do that. But one of my class, which was uh, driver's ed, we like the states we were required to go on Zoom. Mm -hmm. That was challenging because um, every Tuesday and Thursday I have to go on Zoom. But with my family members, <laughs> there, my sister just walk in the room. Yeah. I'll be like, I'm on this. I'm on the like I'm in the and in the classroom. She be like, Which classroom are you in? I'm, I am on. I, sometimes I just put my phone there. I'm in the classroom. She 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 will call my name, and my sister will just walk in, into like the room and. I'll just get mad and sometimes sometimes I used to connect with my phone on Zoom and somebody would just call and that Zoom would just be over and going, getting back would be just hard and sometimes I would go like, I'm not joining Zoom this time. So it was very hard. Because like, it sounds like no privacy. Yeah, you had no, no privacy. No privacy. And yeah. actually learning at home, especially when you have a lot of siblings, is very hard because... um. Because they won't even, uh, since my little sister weren't like taking the virtual classes, they were just, uh, they just, the teacher would just send the assignment and they, they have to do it. But I, w I think I was the only one at home who was doing the virtual learning. Uh -huh. So they were, they were, they used to think it wasn't something very serious. But my teach, that was something very serious. If you, you can't go on Zoom, you can't pass sure. class. And if I didn't pass that class, I wouldn't have to graduate. So it was very hard for me that time. And you had to make your 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 siblings understand that. Yes. Right. Yeah, I have to make them understand and they couldn't get it. It was just so hard. Like So aside from the education aspect, what yeah. other challenges did this quarantining and social distancing bring to your parents and to your siblings? Um this social distancing, um since we couldn't go out, out with our friends, we couldn't go to church, that mm. was something very challenging. And we had to start going to church online. And we just, just being home, everybody was just boring being home, like bumping with each other every time. That, that was like very like challenging and just... um. Because your little siblings, right? Yes. They need their friends. Yeah, they want right? to go out. They want to go out and play and yeah. go like... Sometimes it's very hard to explain, like to explain, like all these COVID things. Kids cannot really understand very easily. Like we just go like, "Oh, there is a pandemic. You can go outside." What is a pandemic? Like they just ask those <laughs> questions. Like I'm like, you try to explain. You can go out because of this, but they can't. They can't get that into their head, and they just think you just you don't want them to go out. That is right. something kids can think. My little sister used to think that, especially my younger mm -hmm. one, and she was just thinking uh, like I don't want to let, I don't want her to go outside. But she couldn't like really like um understand that there is a pandemic going on. Right. She just wanted to go. Sure. So I, I I tried to make her understand she can't go because there is a pandemic going on. Do your little siblings like listen to your parents <laughs> when your parents are trying to explain these things or not really? Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Or it I, sounds like they listen to you more. Oh, uh, they do. Li- I think they do listen to. So they listen when I say stuff. They listen, but I have to have my dad there in order for them to or follow what I said. Yeah. They listen sometimes, but some, but my dad has to be there. Yeah. On, in order for them to follow what I said. Yeah. But. Good. Um. And how has work been for your parents? Everything normal? Uh, work for my parents. I think work have been normal. But just the way they they wear masks and the way they cover themselves in workplaces, it's something very challenging. And um, yeah, just having those a lot of masks sure. and yeah, being in that place working, I think it's something like hard. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's very. Um, sometimes they can't breathe properly sure. with all those masks and yeah. on their faces. But luckily, you know, they've, they've been able to maintain full-time work. Yeah. That's good. That's great. So do you have, let's say, you know, you've been here for, your family has been here for a while. Yes. Um, you've been able to, has anyone helped you during this time? Or you guys, your family is pretty self-sufficient at this point. Um, my, nobody helped us during this time because we have been around for a long time. So we pretty much doing good on our own. That's great. That's good. And and so do you think that if a new family comes, you, you could give them some good advice of, of how to handle COVID right now? Yes. Um, we'll be like, like we can be able to help because we, I think for me, I, I know most of like the stuff and I know, I very much know a lot of things. Now I can be able to help others and give them some good advice. What advice would you give them? Uh, I would give them advices to follow what the government is saying and about wearing masks, yeah. um, using hand sanitizer and keeping a, a, a space between each other yeah. and seeking for help if they need help, like um, men, if they need mental support, if they need any support, mm-hmm. they have to seek for help. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's really good advice because there's definitely places here like the resettlement office. Yes. There's social yes. services. There's lots of places that they can connect yes. to. Um, so Jeanette, what's, what's your plan for the future now that you are a high school graduate? <laughs> what does your future look like? Uh, so, um, right now I'm, in, I'm taking classes online at Thomas Nelson Community College. And after two years, I'm going to transfer to either ODU or VCU and after that I'm going to try to get into medical school so I want to become uh, a medical and maybe you'll be the one who can start finding a, a cure for or a, or, or a vaccine <laughs> for, COVID. For, for COVID right uh, yeah so <laughs> yeah you <know> so. <laughs> Jeanette that's that's a wonderful plan and mm. uh we wish you all the best in that plan. Good luck to you and your family. Thank you. Yeah, and thank, thank you, you so much, much for, uh, for joining us today. You're welcome. You've been listening to Listo's Refugee Health Miniseries in collaboration with Commonwealth Catholic Charities. 
special thanks to Jeanette for agreeing to today's interview and to the Office of Behavioral Health and Wellness. And of course, to Kristen Larcher for helping put this content together. My name is Ellen and thank you for being with us. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or ideas, please reach out to the podcast email and stay tuned for our next episode where we'll get to learn more about how to get involved and the greatest needs of the CCC during this time, as well as the relationship between the CCC and Newport News Public Schools and addressing educational barriers here. Stay tuned.